Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's Agency Podcast of the Year. Every episode, we listen to and learn from people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shy Day New York. Well, thank you for tuning in. Our guest today is Giles Edwards. Giles is the co-founder of the UK-based marketing agency, Gasp. He's also one of the collaborators on the number one best-selling book, Delusions of Branger. But today, we will lead our discussion on his most recent project called Isolated Talks. Giles, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. Thank you, Rob. The, the pleasure is entirely mine, as you will soon discover. <laughs> By the way, every time I see the name of your agency, Gasp, I feel like going, ah, Gasp. <laughs> is that the correct pronunciation? It's spelled G-A-S-P exclamation point, which I would pronounce as ah, Gasp. That's it. Perfect. Spot on. Very good. All right. So you've put together your own uh, virtual conference here in this uh, COVID-19 moment, and you've called it uh, Isolated Talks. <laughs> How did this all come about? So isolated. So I've just launched with the help of some brilliant people, I must stress, Isolated Talks, with a deliberate and respectful nod to TED Talks. And it is an appeal to the advertising and creative industries to raise money for those struggling in isolation. The current lockdown has been described as a mental health ticking time bomb. And I'm not ashamed to say I've, I felt it quite early on myself. And, and I saw this as a way of helping. So the, the context really is industry events have been cancelled or at best postponed. So we're asking speakers to donate talks recorded from isolation to us to host on the site, which is isolatedtalks.com for everyone to enjoy. And then if circumstances allow, you can watch and donate what you can to the cause. Uh, it can be the equivalent of an event ticket fee or, or, or really just a few quid, Rob, or even your own talk to help grow this thing. Mm. We're doing this to raise money for a UK charity, the Samaritans, and it costs them approximately five pounds to answer one phone call. And I'm not overstating it to say one phone call has saved lives. So the current climate has their phone lines busier than ever and they're desperately under-resourced and have described it as the, you know, the biggest challenge they've ever faced. So clearly not everyone will be in a position to donate either, which is, which is cool. You can help by just enjoying it and, and telling people about it. Well, good. Very good. I think um, it has been very powerful, and uh, I've been uh, on the site looking at the talks. I mean, again, just sort of going back into the development of this thing, you kind of saw that the uh, events world uh, of our business was, was, was dissolving. Was that kind of the impetus to say, hey, we can do this virtually? Yeah, partly, partly. So there's, I mean, there's really two avenues into answering, answering that question. And it's hard to articulate it on that one, that one route, but it, it was partly inspired by that. So the context, of course, plays a huge role. And I, um, believe it or not, was due to deliver a few talks over the spring and summer at various events, which um, have now been postponed or, or cancelled in one instance. And so the, it all happened very quickly. I had the idea 
a few weeks ago now. But as with, with all my ideas, I wasn't sure if it was a, a terrible idea pretending to be a good idea. Mm-hmm. But it had a nice spark to it and, and, and it felt good. So, so I pursued it and I approached two or three people that I regard as, as good mates in the industry and, and you know, guys who are not afraid to say, you know, this, this you know, drop it. And they gave me the confidence to get past that tipping point. And it's happened very quickly. I knew we needed a team behind it. So I spoke to fellow creatives, Glenn, Tommy and Matt, who have all helped build what you see now. Now, now for those who have not been on the site and it's isolatedtalks.com, uh, those who have not been on the site, maybe describe a little bit about what the site is and, and how close to it is it from your original vision? It's, it's bang on. I mean, it's bang on. I mean, the the... Tommy, who uh, helped visualize most of the site, I think I went to Tommy with a concept and a logo. And um, yeah, as, as, as he does, he, uh, he hit the bullseye. And the thing that is perhaps even better than I had imagined is the individuals who are giving the talks, who have donated the talks, and, and how they've adapted the brief, because, you know, open briefs are often the hardest to respond to, certainly in, in my opinion. But we didn't really go to these generous speakers with much of a brief other than this is the idea, this is what we're trying to do and, and why we're doing it, crucially, to help people struggling in isolation in these times. So, you know, we've got a, a beautiful gallery of faces, including your face, Rob, who has kindly donated a talk. Rory Sutherland went live today, Vicky Ross, Amy Keane, Colin Lewis is, is coming this week. Jane Evans, we've got a real star-studded lineup. And, oh, and yes. It, that's, that's been quite overwhelming. The glitterati of social media. I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to the brief, though, because, again, you're, uh, you're thinking about this idea. You're observing and reading. People are isolated and um, feeling a little bit anxious, feeling lonely. So what was the brief? I don't even remember the brief, but I remember you gave me a brief. Ah, so the brief, so loosely, the brief, one of the only real must-haves was that the talk had to be recorded in this current state of isolation. So we've asked everyone to self-record using whatever tech they have at their disposal and whatever expertise that they have behind that. So we've had talks recording on smartphones all the way up to, I um, received one last night that looks good enough for an IMAX cinema. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's stunning. Um, and, and really, just to talk around the creativity and themes related to our industry, or indeed related to the individual trying to maneuver their way through these times. There's, there's a lot, um, I mean, I, I have a lot of beef with hustle culture in general. And I think mm. there is a lot of, lot of negative messages being broadcast at the moment, which aren't helping the situation. I think people are feeling guilty for not doing more and not learning new skills and not writing mm. that novel they've been sat on for so long. But, but really, that's, that's not good advice. And all that does is add to the anxiety that we're trying to help combat. I, I think um, it's the, the, before you go on, because I think you've hit on something that's really powerful. I remember when this uh, giant pause first started for us uh, about seven weeks ago. And I think one of the first tweets I read was, uh, oh, great, work from home, you know, giant uh, quarantine. Shakespeare wrote uh, King Lear <laughs> during the plague. I mean, that was like the first tweet. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. What am I going to do for the giant pause? Like trying to run a company, serve clients, but now I have to like write, you know, the great American yeah. novel. What the F? <laughs> <laughs> it's mad. It's mad. And I, and I think um, I learned quite early on, in fact, my wife and I, that we really had to lower our expectations 
uh, both in what we would do individually uh, as a family. I have two young daughters and, and that expectation level and that bar is probably still set too high for most people. Mm. We, um, you know, whatever people are juggling and people are juggling relatively, you know, more than I am, it's important to, to do what you can to stay in contact with people, to stay happy, to stay sane. And, you know, if, if we can, as, a, as an industry, as a rally cry mm. to the creative industries, if we can do just a small bit to help those that are helping the people in trouble going through these, these challenging times, then I think, we've, um, I think we've done what we set out to do. So you've talked a little bit about who's giving the talks, uh, Rory Sutherland, uh, Vicky Ross, etc. What are people talking about? What, 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 what are you seeing as, you know, different, different bits of content uh, that, that, that's uh, unfurling on the site? <laughs> well, we, uh, <laughs> we had a talk today that's gone out today, in fact, where the talk concludes with the speaker shaving his head. Um, <laughs> so I'll leave that one there for you to... Uh, uh, to tease you, but we've we've had um, we've had Rory talking around the positive impact of the current situation. And again, I'm saying this as someone whose glass is normally half empty and, and you know arguably chipped as well. But <laughs> it's important to focus on the positives. And there's been loads of positives. And and one Rory is is, is talking around is perhaps we need to re-examine our uh, the standard and the norm for people operating in our industry to travel so much, to work from an office. The productivity levels of, of people in some instances is probably higher than, than pre-lockdown. Mm. Um, and it's, it's just posing a few questions. But then equally, we've had, we've had the coronavirus soundtrack, which you, you gifted us, Rob, which is wonderful. And, and then it leads from a, um, a very moving story around 9-11 and how music has evolved into being maybe a tool that you use, I don't want to put words into your mm. mouth, but as, as a kind of maybe a coping mechanism or something to just switch off and enjoy. So there's been some really, really positive interpretations. And that really is why, I mean, that and perhaps a bit of laziness is that's probably why we wanted to keep the brief open. Because to give one more example, Mark Pollard has recorded his talk <laughs> lying flat on his back on the carpet. And, that you know, no cool. brief... If I tried to constrain the brief, I probably wouldn't have been able to enjoy Mark lying flat on his back. So, uh, so it's been quite open, but people are interpreting it in whatever way they deem. So uh, how has the response been? The response has been, has been remarkable. I mean, it's been remarkable from within our industry, first and foremost. And we raised in the first few hours of launch, we raised about £1,000 towards the, which all, all goes to the Samaritans. So that's about 200 phone calls being answered that previously may not have had the resource to be answered. So that's wonderful. Um, so now it's a stage, a case of us trying to grow the site, to grow our reach, to just raise awareness and make as much noise as we can to, to get whatever support is out there in any shape or size. Sounds like you may need an agency for this. <laughs> yeah, I know. And if only I knew a good one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. So maybe talk a little bit about What's making for a successful talk? Because you have very kindly uh, and very generously opened up the platform to people to send talks. So mm. if you were to give some tips to people, um, what makes for a compelling, isolated talk? Where do you go, oh, that's that, someone should do more of that. I mean, like Mark Pollard, yeah. like, like Mark Pollard, for example, uh, was, was wonderful because he opens... Uh, very visually on his back and his hair looks like it is uh, 
Uh, it almost looks like he's upside down. Yeah. So he's got a very striking visual. I thought that was very powerful. You know, I loved, uh, you know, Vicky's, uh, she was very straightforward. You know, she's like, yeah. this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. And in kind of, you know, her amazing way, she's like, and by God, you're really going to get something out of this. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's Vicky's style. Vicky's, Vicky just knew exactly what she was going to do. And she, get, she gave a copywriting masterclass. Um, and in fact, that's something to, to really flag. I had a very generous comment I received from one of the directors uh, at Twitter who said a colleague had called isolated talks a, as good as an advertising degree. And I think he said that quite early on before mm. we'd even put half the, the talks there. But, but as you say, I mean, the consistencies that make the great talks, they, they vary, but I suppose something that, that gives value like Vicky's talk is wonderful. And I should caveat this and everything I say on this podcast is I, I might be wrong. Um, I'm not sure this is necessarily the right answer, but Mark Pollard's talk is wonderful. And to show my hand here, I decided Mark's Mark's talk was wonderful from frame one <laughs> when, I saw, when I saw him lying down because that was just remarkably honest and I think we need a bit more of that so again contrary to the hustle culture that we uh, discussed briefly just now to have Mark so honestly and openly lying on the floor in that physical state of lockdown gives a lot to the viewer I mean it shows people that we're not all writing Shakespeare novels <laughs> some of us we just need to lie on the floor and and think and breathe. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Yeah, I think, and maybe this was part of your brief that you gave to me, but I think the the more honest you could be in the talk, I felt, you know, the more compelling, uh, even, uh, you know, Amy Keene's uh, evil genius talk, you know, with, with, with uh -huh. tongue firmly planted in cheek was wonderful because, it, you know, it, it just turned, you know, uh, you know, ad person ambition on its head, but very, in a very honest way. So I think this, authenticity and honesty of storytelling again amazing for these talks and i think it's a lesson for maybe where we're moving i'll make one more point mm. and let you talk but i was i was i couldn't sleep last night maybe thinking about this podcast with you but i could not sleep <laughs> i was traipsing through instagram and what was remarkable is that the instagram stuff that i was seeing was so remarkably mundane and so mm. just less posed and less sort of like, you know, influencer feel and filtered and all the stuff that makes, you know, Instagram uh, something that can make you feel terrible. And I felt so much more connected to people. I, it was just a strange uh, phenomenon. Yeah, I think you could probably draw a line and stick Instagram with its glossy photos at one end and isolated talks with that raw quality of footage at, at the other. Yeah. And, and I think maybe that that is, you know, your, um, you know, where we started originally on, you know, this kind of side hustle versus the pause that is in front of us. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's some tension there that I think is, is definitely uh, uh, they're wrestling with each other. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think that is, it just keeps it very real. I um I made a reference to that raw quality that I think the site has and most of the videos, well, in fact, all of the videos have, but it's almost a, and I'm loath to even make this reference because it's ridiculous, but it's, it's almost got that Blair Witch-esque authentic quality to it simply because the footage is not slick and glossy. It hasn't been retouched like a lot of posts you might stumble across on, in, on uh, Instagram or or whatever, and I think that's what's that's what's so real, and that's and that keeps it very genuine. Mm. And hearing from people that 
so many of us admire from the comfort or anxiety of their own home during this period of lockdown and isolation is really gives a lot of a lot of quality it's funny yeah you 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 see blair witch you know i'm you know very musically inclined and i and i saw punk you know 1976 uk punk very diy and very raw you know even uh, you know uh, yeah presentation I did I couldn't even figure out how to do the slides so I just did them by by hand <laughs> yeah yeah well, if that, that's what made it I mean that was ace that was great <laughs> well let's switch gears a little bit uh and I want to talk to you about just briefly on delusions of brandeur so, oh wow okay uh, how did you get involved with this project again maybe just give us a you know a few sentences on how you uh would describe delusions of brandeur the best-selling book well, Delusions of Brandeur, and it probably states something along these lines on the back, and, and so it should, is it's an antidote to the nonsense that is so rife in our industry. And it is dry, it is satirical, it is Python-esque, and it's quite cutting. But within it, I, I'm, I'm always keen to, to clarify this. I think people have this almost overwhelming sense of cynicism with the book. But actually, if you look closer and give it some time, it's full of smarts. It's full of real intelligence and wit, um, and it celebrates the good. It doesn't just knock the bad. Yeah, so your uh, half-chipped glass of rail whiskey, <laughs> <laughs> slightly more optimistic. I mean, when I, when I talked to Ryan Wallman, who, uh, of course, is one of your collaborators on this and a real force behind this, uh, I asked him that, that very question. I said, is this a you know, pessimistic book or is this an optimistic book? And he, of course, laughed in my face and he said, idiot of course it's optimistic <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean I, I don't want to steal any thunder here so again it's you know ryan ryan is the uh, is that is really holding the wheel and, and driving this thing i merely collaborated with ryan to design and you know uh, uh, illustrate and publish mm. uh, but but you know without ryan god knows what it would have become and did you know ryan beforehand or is this a social media relationship uh, well, so the answer is yes to both, um, if, if that even makes sense. So I've known Ryan via social media for years, years now, maybe six years, I would, I would guess. And I do regard him as a friend. Um, and this isn't an episode of Catfish, but we're yet to meet in person, which is bizarre, <laughs> seeing as we've shared a project that probably ran for the best part of a year and has had, you know, some relative success. Oh, yes. And then, so uh, I just want to uh, talk a little bit about this more because this is kind of disrupting the way that we traditionally work. You know, there's, when we're working on a creative project, we all need to be in the same room. And I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, even pre-COVID crisis, you were working in this very modern way. Is that something that you've been doing with other collaborators or this, you know, the delusions of Brandger was kind of your, your Petri dish, you know, your, your beta? Yeah, perhaps it was, it was slightly the, the, the beast. I, it's hard to say because uh, yes, it was maybe slightly forward thinking in terms of that model, but I don't, I wouldn't think either Ryan or I would claim that much else of the process was particularly slick or something that anyone should be in awe of. Um, <laughs> I, as a, as a tiny, as a tiny independent agency, we have clients all over the world and I run an inferior podcast to this where I talk to people from all over the world. So really the idea uh, and the process of working and talking, collaborating with people who aren't sat beside me is, is just part of how we work, I think. Mm. All right. So you've got isolate head talks. You've got delusions of Brandger, which you just finished and you just referenced your mm. podcast. 
Tell us about your podcast on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's all getting a bit meta. So, uh, so I started Call to Action uh, probably 14 months ago now. I think it was Feb last year where the wonderful Richard Shotton mm. uh, gave me the, the, the pleasure of interviewing him. And, and really, Call to Action was almost the audio equivalent of Delusions of Brandeur for me in terms of the motivation behind it. And as I've got older and grumpier and more cynical and more fed up with the industry, I saw it as a way of capturing the the folk I admire in this world, in associated creative industries, just to amplify them, just to make it all, just turning it up a bit. There's lots of voices screaming, hustle this, hustle that. Um, There's lots of voices that perhaps get a platform that, in my opinion, isn't appropriate or proportional to the level of sense mm. and intelligence um god i sound cynical don't i so <laughs> so really it was it, it existed to to do that to celebrate those who we admire and those who should be admired and heard mm. well i love the name of it call to action you know i think double entendre works great obviously it's part of our business the call to action but literally uh after hearing some episodes you will have your own call to do things better. I think it's very smart. Yeah, well, thank you, Rob. By pure accident, I I imagine. (laughs) I don't know about that. We'll see. Now, let's just talk a little bit about your journey. So you've been running GASP for a little bit over a decade. Mm. I'm I'm recording you on Zoom. You seem very young. How did you get here so quickly with so many projects? I'm going to, don't, whoever edits these, don't cut that bit out. (laughs) <laughs> they can up the volume. On the, <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel very young, Rob, so that's kind. It's funny, actually, because um, retrospectively, I've looked back and, and questioned why I took such a scenic route into the agency world, because <laughs> my late father was quite the ad man, um, mm. had huge success. But to be honest, he, I was very young. He, he was quite an old dad, if that makes sense. Mm. And, I, and I don't think I ever really understood what he did. Uh, but subsequently, I have brothers and sisters in the industry and yet my uh my star i came in from the design side of things Mm. uh, which evolved into being a creative and i after a few years i began to question things about the industry and i began to question things such as to give you an example why aren't creatives involved in every stage of the process why aren't creatives Mm. involved in diagnosis why aren't creatives involved in certain critical parts of planning and writing a brief and and that's not to say they're not um full stop of course there are agencies who operate wonderful working models but i think i i learned my trade in areas that perhaps i saw flaws in Um, pricing is another one i've have um, up until probably three or four years ago where i did some wonderful training that very talented guy called Tim Williams. I always had issues with the, the concept of a rate card um, mm. or a day slash hourly rate. I didn't think pricing work that, that way or the value of what we did made much sense. Mm. And ultimately, it all concluded in, in starting GASP. And, and as, you, uh, <laughs> as you so well pronounced the agency name earlier, GASP is actually an acronym of the four founding members. So we, our hands were tied. We had <laughs> gasp or spag or pags. Um, it just made sense and it felt good. So we ran with gasp. That's, that's great. Yeah, I think you hit on something that is uh, uh, really uh, near and dear to me, which is uh, 
I always saw, I grew up as, as a creative uh, and then, uh, you know, got into management and leadership, but I always saw two kinds of creatives. And I don't know if this was by uh, design or this was by interest, but I always saw two kinds of creative. There was craftspeople who really focused and really cared about craft. And that was really the beginning and the end. And that was its own excellent thing. And then I saw people like myself, who I would call enterprise creatives, which is, mm. yes, craft was important, but so was every other piece of the puzzle. Mm. And I think what you uh, raise here is, why is there not more enterprise creatives versus, uh, you know, almost like, um, I don't know, um, you know, applied creatives or hand, you know, sometimes creatives are just relegated to, well, you're just, you know, make it look good. You're the, you're the hand, yeah. you know, just bring this to life. You know, don't you, you know, don't worry your pretty little head over there uh, about, <laughs> uh, you know, the business and some of the big strategic issues. Just, you know, come up with, you know, something snappy and cool that, you know, that all the kids will click on. Yeah, funny enough, you used a word there that I use myself when I'm trying to describe the two types of creative that I see. And, and I typically use it when I have conversations with people outside of the, in, the industry who don't understand the significance of creativity and what we do. And I tend to break it down into pure creativity and applied creativity mm. in precisely the same way you have pure mathematics and applied mathematics. And I think the first is obviously more the craft and the aesthetic, almost a, almost a, a type of stylist, if, if you mm. will, if that doesn't sound too condescending. Whereas applied creativity doesn't even have to be visual. It can just be an idea. Mm. And it's the, where, I, where I went to slightly earlier around pricing, the, the concept of pricing an idea based on time was specifically the bit I found quite challenging and hard to kind of come to terms with. Yeah, my, my, my favorite uh, example of, of that pricing dilemma, because I'm right there with you, is if you looked at Walt Disney, how long did it take him to draw Mickey Mouse? Maybe, maybe it took <laughs> 45 minutes. Yeah. You know? And so if he was paid by the hour, you know, back in, back in the day, I don't know, maybe he made $38, you know, yeah. that, that, yeah. that, that was the time a company that's now worth, you know, in the trillions. So how do you uh, reconcile the time to make something versus the output of the thing? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. No, no one ever said, let's watch that film. It's 15 minutes longer, so it must be better. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've just created a topic that Mr. Sutherland would, would, would have a field day with. He, he, would, he would really. Oh, he would. Now, uh, but before we ask for uh, our one piece of advice, uh, I have one other question for you, which is how much uh, did uh, Professor Mark Ritson, uh, his influence have on you? Uh, because, uh, uh, you know, this is a guy who I know you've referenced in some of your material. And, and, mm. and I think this is like one of our big thinkers in our business. So I will just throw that out there for you. Yeah, well, funny enough, you've named him after a significant uh, other person who um, I couldn't admire anymore in Rory. But, but Mark, wow, I mean, he's, he's one of the greatest thinkers uh he's one of the greatest speakers i as soon as he launched his mini mba classes i was on the first class i can't speak highly enough of mark and he's he's really helped me understand the discipline of marketing and in fact you touched on this in your previous episode on on the disruptor series which was why is it acceptable in our industry to come in and even pursue a career without learning the discipline and despite my entry point being creative, I've always realized in order to have 
the grown-up conversations which marketing should have in the boardroom. I need to understand everything I possibly can about the game. And learning from Mark Ritson, from Professor Mark Ritson, I, it's given me knowledge which I lacked previously. And it's not to say the knowledge can't come from elsewhere. I, I would struggle to point to any other sources uh, in my experience anyway that would be that I would rate as highly but his training has been fundamental for me mm. yeah no he's he's fantastic well very good all right so we're at the point in the show where you give one piece of advice and uh our listenership is is broad you know we're downloaded in 100 countries we've got uh c-suite folks we've got frontline folks so uh I will give you an open brief back give us one piece of advice Fail more, fail more, just fail. Uh, fear, fear of failure cripples people. And yet failure is, is the quickest route to success. And I'm yet to meet a successful person who hasn't failed just as many times or more commonly, even more so. And when I do, I'm going to call them a liar. So, mm-hmm. uh, but we learn more from failing than we do from succeeding. And I mean, try not to kill anyone. And this advice is heavily caveated, like um, everything I said earlier, and industry specific. So if you're a surgeon of any description, ignore, ignore this advice. But if you're a marketer or a creative, just fail more, try things. And if you can become familiar with that feeling, yeah, or even comfortable with that feeling, you can achieve almost anything. Yeah. Very good. Very good advice. All right, Giles. Very good. We've got, first off, Delusions of Branger. We've got Call to Action podcast. Folks can, can listen to more of you there uh, and the great guests that you have. And most importantly, for right now, isolatedtalks.com. Isolated uh, that's one word, isolatedtalks.com. This is really great advice, great thinking, great people, uh, all in service of a great cause, the Samaritans. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Rob. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's agency podcast of the year. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com.